Good evening and happy Sabbath. It is a pleasure uh, to be here this evening with you. And, uh, and anytime there are young people together and I have an opportunity to, to join them and to share some of the things that the Lord has taught me uh, is a rich privilege. And especially when it's the sanctuary. And I am just loving this model up here. That has been a labor of love. But in there we find the plan of salvation revealed. In its simplicity, we find incredible depth. Um, I introduced myself earlier. Uh, my name is George Baute, and I pastor here at the Upper Columbia Conference. And my interest in the sanctuary <clears throat> began when uh, I was nine years old. We, uh, my family, my mother and my sister and I, to be more specific, came out of the Catholic Church. And we were attending a VBS uh, there at the local Adventist church. And that, that particular VBS, uh, the theme was the sanctuary. And in my home, though we grew up Catholic, my mother always taught us that the Bible was God's holy word, even though we didn't read it because it was the job of the priest to teach us what was in it. And she taught us how the law of God is very holy. And so we held it in high esteem. We just didn't read it. And I remember in that VBS, they gave us a little model of the Ten Commandments, and I held it in my hand, and I can still remember the tingly feeling that just, just, just went all over me as I was holding in my hand the law of God. That was amazing to me. I still remember that experience. And, and it left an indelible impression upon me. Now, later as the years passed, I walked away from the Lord, and there is a story behind that, which we won't get into tonight. But later, when I came back to the Lord in my late 20s, uh, and I came back to church, it was interesting that I found myself confronted with this discussion of whether or not, I, I wasn't in the middle of it, I was just listening to it, but whether or not the sanctuary was really important to us as a people. And there were those that said that it was very important to us, and there were those that said it wasn't. Now, obviously, both cannot be true. And so I did something very unusual, very unique. I studied the matter out for myself. Imagine. I did. I studied it for myself. And what I discovered is, uh, is that the Bible is, com is completely saturated with uh, sanctuary imagery and terminology uh, to the point that if you pulled all of that out, that literally the Bible would fall apart in your hands. I discovered that the New Testament writer writes in a manner that he assumes the reader understands the sanctuary. He does. And if, and if one does not understand the sanctuary, you're only getting half the story from the New Testament writer. Because there is a depth if you understand the New Testament. In particular, by the way, when you get into prophecy, Daniel Revelation, saturated in the sanctuary. But the most beautiful part of the sanctuary and the part that arrested my attention was the plan of salvation is revealed there. How God saves a sinner. God's answer to the sin problem is revealed there. How God is going to destroy sin yet in the process, make a way to save the sinner. When I, in this presentations that I'll be sharing with you, they're going to be uh, very practical. 
Uh, I am practical to a fault. Um, and many times as I was listening to how important the sanctuary was to us as a people, I would go to various presentations and I would hear that blue meant this and gold meant that and, and that's true and it's good and it has its place, but I was struggling inside and I needed victory and that just wasn't helping me. Are you with me? So what I'm going to be presenting, and I'm not downing that, that is important, but it has to lead to an experience with the Lord. And so this will be very practical. Now, our weekend is entitled Uniquely Adventist. I love that. I love that title, Uniquely uniquely Adventist. And Seventh-day Adventist is uh, the last piece of the Reformation puzzle. During the Dark Ages, truth was lost. And a process began to reinstate that which was lost. And you have groups that God would, would, would arise that would, that would bring in elements of truth that have been lost. For example, the Lutherans brought in sola scriptura, uh, justification by, by faith. They brought that to the table. And then you have the Anabaptists who brought baptism by immersion. And, and your, your Methodists, uh, the call to holy living. Well, Seventh-day Adventists bring something to the table that nobody else brings. And that is the sanctuary. We are a people birthed from the sanctuary. And simply put, no sanctuary, no Adventists. It's that simple. And we'll flesh that out as we go along. Tonight's presentation, uh, I've entitled it, uh, The Importance of the Sanctuary Message. And, um, and what we're going to do here, we're just going to go through the counsel given to us uh, from the spirit of prophecy. Okay? And we're going to see just a, a sampling of appeals to us as a people to study this. That's all we're going to do is just look at a sampling. It's not an exhaustive search. You can do that on your own. But I tried to hit some of the high points uh, of, of the counsel given to us. Then, in the lessons that will follow for tomorrow, then one on Sunday, the second presentation is entitled The Sanctuary Prayer. And what we're going to discover is that the sanctuary actually is a model for prayer. The sanctuary actually prepares our hearts to approach a living God, and it actually teaches us what we need to be praying for. Did you know that? We're going to take a look at that. The third thing we're going to look at is the daily today. The sanctuary actually teaches us how to walk with Jesus in a practical manner every day. Did you know that? It actually teaches us that. We're going to look at that. Number four, the fourth presentation, I've entitled it, The Good News of the Judgment. And, you know, for most Seventh-day Adventists, when, they, when you talk about the judgment, they say October 22, 1844. But beyond that, they really don't know what it's about. They just don't know. And, uh, and, and for many, uh, it strikes fear in them, fearful of the decision that the Father is going to make in their case. We're going to learn that the Father is not the one to fear at all, period. I'll show that to you. But we're going to discover that there is a fear factor, and we're going to learn what it is 
that we need to be fearing. The fifth one, the fifth presentation, I've entitled it, Why Jesus Waits. Did you know that the sanctuary actually explains the reason for the delay in the second coming? We're going to discover that it has nothing to do with the economy or with the Catholic Church, but we're going to discover why Jesus has not returned yet. And then the last presentation, I have entitled it Lessons from the End. And in that presentation, we're going to take a look at the third phase of the judgment, the executive portion when the wicked are destroyed. And we're going to pause right there. And we're going to take a, a broad look at those final moments. And what can we learn from those moments that will benefit us today? That's what we're going to do. Now, each of you should have a handout in the little blue folder that was given to you. I like giving handouts. Uh, for several reasons. Number one, it gives you an opportunity to follow me, and when you want to write notes, you can do that. Uh, number two, uh, so you can go home and make sure that you can check out the preacher that what he was saying was right. But number three, it gives you an opportunity to share it. Because that is what God has called us to do, to share this message. And so what I'd like to do at this point is to uh, ha have a word of prayer once more and you've already knelt before the master. I'm going to ask you if you'll bow your head. I would like to kneel and have one more prayer. Gracious Father, I am so thankful for this gracious opportunity that you have given to us. And Lord, I am, I am privileged, I am honored, I am humbled, and so grateful that you have called me to share what you have taught me. But Lord, you know that I cannot give this message without your help at all. And so I am asking, Father, for your Holy Spirit to be given as, as already has been prayed. I add my prayer to that. I pray, Savior, that truly you will give to me your mind. Now, Lord, you know all the people here. You know the needs. You know the struggles. I pray that the Holy Spirit be diffused to us all, that your angels will be here to impress our hearts and minds, and that each will hear what you're desiring them to hear now. Thank you for your goodness, your tender mercies. Thank you for being, as, being with us, Lord, as we ask for your blood to wash away our sin. Truly, Lord, may this room now be your habitation. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. The importance of the sanctuary message. What I'd like to do is begin with a quote uh, found in early writings, page 56. And this quote is actually a, uh, a vision that Ellen White had in 1848, four years after the great disappointment, after um, the discovery of the heavenly sanctuary, Ellen White gets this vision. And I want you to take note of something. Watch carefully as uh, Angel 1 and 2 of Revelation 14 is actually played out here. See if you can spot it. Okay? Angels 1 and 2 of uh, the three angels' message. Early Writings, page 56. And I saw the Father rise from the throne and in a flaming chariot go into the Holy of Holies within the veil and did sit. Then Jesus rose up from the throne and most of those who were bowed down rose with him. And I did not see one ray of light pass from Jesus to the careless multitude after he arose and they were left in perfect darkness. Those who rose up when Jesus did kept their eyes fixed on him as he left the throne and led them out a little way. 
Then he raised his right hand, and we heard the lovely voice saying, Wait here, I am going to my father to receive the kingdom. Keep your garments spotless, and in a little while I will return from the wedding and receive you to myself. And I saw a cloud, cloudy chariot and wheels like flaming fire, and angels were all around it as it came where Jesus was. He stepped into the chariot and was born to the holiest where the Father sat. There I beheld Jesus standing before the Father, a great high priest. On the hem of his garment was a bell and pomegranate, a bell and pomegranate. And I saw those who rose up with Jesus send up their faith to him in the holiest and pray, My Father, give us thy spirit. Then Jesus would breathe upon them the Holy Ghost. In the breath was light, power, and much love, joy, and what? And peace. By the way, that's character. Don't miss that. Let's keep going. Then I turned to look at the company who was still bowed before the throne. They did not know that Jesus had uh, left, left it. Satan appeared to be by the throne trying to carry on the work of God. I saw them look up to the throne and pray, Father, give us thy spirit. Then Satan would breathe upon them and an, an unholy influence. In it there was light and much power, but no sweet love, joy, and peace. Satan's object was to keep them deceived and to draw back and deceive God's children. This was a dream that she had. Very interesting. Please take note that that when Jesus moved from the holy to the most holy place, there was a group that looked and followed. That's the first angel's message. That's the first angel's message that was given. The hour of his judgment has come. And so the people who stayed focused on Jesus and by faith followed him into the most holy were with him, praying for the Holy Spirit and that work of transformation in the life. But there was another group that was worshiping God. But they didn't follow Jesus into the most holy place. And who took over that program? Satan did. That's angel's message number two. Babylon has fallen. If you don't follow Jesus, that's you default to a fallen condition. Because they are not where Jesus is. Please take note that by the time you get to Revelation 18... The fallen condition of Babylon is complete. She has become a habitation of devils. Isn't that right? You know what we call that, don't you? We call that spiritualism, mysticism. We are told that in the last days that the whole Christian world would be swept away by spiritualism and mysticism. How do you get to that condition? By not following Jesus into the most holy place. What is the solution to fall in Babylon? Reconnect with Jesus in the most holy place. What is the solution to spiritualism and mysticism that's hitting us today? Focus on Christ in the most holy place. Is this making sense? By the way, this isn't a warning to just Sunday keepers. Isn't that right? That can happen to us too. If we're not following Jesus, and it's not just an intellectual thing, it's a life experience. A transformation of character. But let's unpack this a little more. Let's take a look. Early writings, page 63. Such subjects as what? The sanctuary, connection with the 2300 days, the commandments of God, and the faith of Jesus 
are perfectly calculated to explain the past Advent movement and show what our present uh, position is. Establish the what? The faith of the doubting and give certainty to the glorious future. These I have frequently seen were the principal subjects upon which the messengers should what? Should dwell. The Seventh-day Adventist church is not just another church. It is a movement. We are a movement. We have a message to tell the world, and that message is focused in the sanctuary. And it's very interesting how studying it helps us to explain our past. One of the things that I really enjoy studying is uh, the history of our denomination. I don't know how, how many of you have ever read the books on our, on our church and our people. It will set your heart on fire. You know, it's very interesting to me. Uh, Doug Batchelor, uh, in a newsletter he, he sent out one day, I, I read it. He shared this story, and, and it just captivated my, my, my imagination. But the story uh, dealt with a, a farmer, and one of his hobbies was to birdwatch, and more specifically to birdwatch eagles. He just loved eagles. They were so beautiful and, and so majestic, these creatures. And to him, it was just a symbol of power and freedom. He just loved it. On his, Whenever he had a little downtime, he would go as they would migrate by his farm. And, and one day, a, a, a eagle couple uh, went ahead and built a nest on in a tree on his property. And he was like thrilled because now he didn't have to drive to the distant cliffs to see them. He could see them right there on his property. And so he was able to watch them build the nest and they, they laid eggs and they had a couple eaglets and it was wonderful. Well, one night, a massive storm came through the region. And uh, thunder and lightning and wind and hail and... So the next morning when he got up just to kind of check around his farm and see if there was any damage, he came upon that tree and there he discovered that the tree had been struck by lightning and there were the, the parent uh, eagles dead on the ground and, uh, and the nest on the ground and one of the eaglets was dead and he went looking for the other one only to discover that that one had survived. And so he decided that he was going to finish raising the bird. You ever tried raising a bird? So he decided that he was going to do that. And so he began raising this, this eagle. And he started to feel bad because the eagle had no friends. Uh, and so he decided that what he, maybe he should put it in the chicken coop. And so he did that. He put the eagle with the chickens and started feeding. Of course, the chickens are, at first were like, uh. But, um, but then they kind of took him in and the bird grew there. And when he let the chickens out, eventually the, the eagle went right out with him, you know, and he was scratching the ground like the chickens. And, and uh, the, 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 the eagle grew into uh, young adulthood to the place now that this bird was ready to fly, but he made no attempts to do so. And he noticed this, and it began to bother him. So after uh, his days out in the work, uh, working out in the field, he decided to come back and give the bird flying lessons. So he began tossing the bird in the air, and it would promptly boink on the ground. So he picked it up, and it just kept falling. And his wife saw this and said, you know, you need to stop. You're going to kill that bird. And, um, and, and he looked at her, and he said, it wasn't made to live like this. It, it's acting like the chicken's. He said, this is a majestic creature, and it's going to learn to fly, or it's going to die, but it's not going to live like this. So he quickly picked it up, and he started heading for his truck, and his wife said, where are you going? And she said, he said to her, we are going to the cliffs. So he drove to the cliffs, parked his truck, and as he was walking to the cliffs, 
uh, he noticed that the bird was looking up, just focused on something. He looked up, couldn't see anything, kept walking. The bird kept looking up. And as he looked up, he saw off in the distance a, another eagle. He had never seen an eagle before. And, and as he looked at that eagle, um, he just focused. Well, anyway, he got to the cliffs and he, he said to the bird, you were meant to fly. And he threw him. And that bird just plummeted to the ground. And right before he hit the ground, he threw out his wings. And he flew. Why? Because now he got to see an eagle. He wasn't meant to live like chickens. Seventh-day Adventist young people, God did not call you to live like chickens. I encourage you to study the lives of the young people before you, those eagles who soared before you. They understood this church's mission, and they understood the message, and they started a movement that God said, another group of young people will finish. I believe you are they. The Lord has called you. We are not just another church. We have been called to the field of action with a message to finish this work and get out of here. That sounds like a plan to me. How about you? Let's do just that. Studying this message will strengthen your faith to that end. Take a look at Great Controversy 48. The sanctuary in heaven is what? The very center of Christ's work in behalf of man. It concerns every soul living upon the earth. It opens to view the plan of salvation, bringing us down to the very close of time and revealing the triumphant issue of the contest between righteousness and sin. It is of the utmost importance that all should thoroughly investigate the subject and be able to give an answer to everyone that asketh them a reason for the hope that is in them. Dear friends, Everything right now that's being done to save you and me is, is taking place in the sanctuary in heaven. And you know, in the battle, in, when you get uh, two nations that are warring against each other, the goal for one nation is to find out where the headquarters is of the other nation and take it out so its capacity for combat is removed. That center is the sanctuary for God. And the Prince of Darkness is doing everything he can to knock it out of our minds and understanding so that we cannot cooperate with Christ in what he's about to do for us and what he's trying to do for us. Evangelism 3, 2.23 and, uh, excuse me, 2.22 and 2.23. As a people, we should be earnest students of prophecy. We should not rest until we become intelligent in regard to the subject of the sanctuary, which is brought out in the visions of Daniel and John. This subject sheds great light on our present position and work and gives us unmistakable proof that God has led us in our experience. God's people are now to have their eyes fixed on the heavenly sanctuary where the final ministration of a great high priest in the work of, of judgment is going forward, where he is interceding for his people. So here again is the appeal. Pay attention, focus on what is taking place in heaven. Let's keep reading. Great Controversy 48. The subject of the sanctuary and the investigative judgment should be what? Clearly understood by the people of God. All need a knowledge for what? Themselves. Of the position and the work of the great high priest. Otherwise, and this is something Seth brought out earlier, otherwise it will be what? You know, one thing... One thing um, 
that we need to really learn about the writings of Sister White. Ellen White, uh, I don't know if you ever, when you've read her stuff, have you been blown away by the, by the breadth of, of, of her vocabulary? Isn't that amazing? Now, how do you get there from a third grade education? Um, Ellen White struggled, uh, was, was constantly trying to expand her vocabulary. She was surrounded by a team because Ellen White struggled to be as precise as possible. She struggled for precision. She was always afraid that she, if she maybe didn't use the right word, that she would lessen the impact of what God was trying to communicate in the lives of his people. She, she counted exaggeration that was listed in her book as lying. She was very careful with what she said. Extremely careful. People come to her with advice and she would say, I'm sorry, I have no light for you. Go ask your pastor. Because she knew everybody was going to hang on what she said. She was very responsible with her words. So when Ellen White says something that seems pretty far out, Rest assured, that is what she meant. No exaggeration is present. When she says here, otherwise it will be impossible, no games. That is what she's saying. It is not possible. What is not possible? For them to exercise the faith, which is essential at this time, or to occupy the position which God desires them to fill. In other words, <clears throat> if we do not understand how the sanctuary functions, we're not going to have faith to face what's coming. And dear friends, it's coming. The storm clouds are gathering. Even now we can hear the sound of distant thunder. The storm is about to burst upon us. You want to strengthen your faith? Study the sanctuary. And not only that, but to know what our duty will be is found there. As well. It's very interesting, by the way. She says that all need a knowledge of themselves, of the position, and the work of the great high priest. Let me give you, a, let, me, let me share a, a simple definition of present truth. Wherever Jesus is and whatever he is doing is present truth. That is present truth. Let's lock in on what he's doing. Preparing for what is coming is what is needed in, in understanding the sanctuary. Let's take a look. Volume 5, Testimony 575. The great plan of redemption as revealed in the closing work of these last days should be should receive close examination. These scenes connected with the sanctuary above should make such an impression upon the minds and hearts of all that they may be able to impress others. All need to become more intelligent in regard to the work of the atonement which is going on in the sanctuary above. When this grand truth is seen and understood, those who hold it will work in harmony with Christ, doing what? To prepare a people to stand in the great day of God and their efforts will be what? It will be successful. My friends, if we want to be successful in reaching a people for the coming of Jesus Christ to prepare them, we have got to understand what he's doing. And as a pastor, I marvel how many of us don't know it. Now, you have to understand that as a Catholic, when I came into this church, I assumed everyone knew it. We don't know it. But when, by the time we're done this weekend, by the grace of God, we are going to know it. By the grace of God, we are going to. But this message has come under attack. Evangelism 2.24. As the great pillars of our faith have been presented, the Holy Spirit has borne witness to them 
And especially is this so regarding the truth of the sanctuary question. Over and over again, the Holy Spirit has in a marked manner endorsed the preaching of this doctrine. But today, as in the past, some will be led to form new theories and to deny the truths upon which the Spirit of God has placed his what? His approval. So it only makes sense that if this is this important to us, I mean, if you're the devil, the strategy is simple. You got to knock out the sanctuary. Isn't that right? If it's that important to us as a people, you've got to knock it out. Let's take a look at the next quote. Special Testimonies, Series B, number 7, page 17. Satan is striving how? Continually to bring in fanciful suppositions in regard to the sanctuary, degrading the wonderful presentations of God and the ministry of Christ for our salvation into something that suits what? The carnal mind. And you know, it's amazing to me how creative Satan is in doing that and distracting us. You know, it's one of those deals where the devil says, I don't want you to pay attention to the sanctuary, but if you focus, then he goes, okay, then let me give you my version. And so I have run into all kinds of stuff. And by the way, it's nothing new. It's stuff all from the past. The devil is not really very creative. He just repackages his stuff. And so I have run into things like, well, in heaven there really aren't two rooms like the one we see here. There's actually one room. How many of you have run into that one? Anybody else here in this room run there aren't two rooms, just one? Okay, just a, a few. Okay, I know you study the sanctuary, Bob. That's right. So that's one I've run into. Here's another one. Um, the atonement took place at the cross. That's a real popular one. Very popular one. Uh, and another one, and I say this with, ut with the utmost humility, I don't see this in any way as a criticism, but the feast keeping that's taking place today. Now, don't get me wrong. If somebody wants to celebrate the feast, knock yourself out. It's a, you're going to learn a lot from that. But if it's to be done because we feel that God requires it and our salvation is bound in it, now we're dealing with something different. Because the, the, the sanctuary was a shadow that was to point us by faith to the substance. Are you with me? And, and that's the role of the sanctuary, is to show us the realities of heaven and to help us to understand and cooperate with Christ because that's what the Jews fell into focusing on the shadow and they lost track of the substance. And we don't want to fall into that. And, uh, and so I see that with all humility. Let's take a look. Evangelism 2.24. In the future, deceptions of how many kinds? Every kind is to arise. And we want solid ground for our feet. We want solid pillars for the building. Not one pin is to be removed from that which the Lord has established. The enemy will bring in false theories such as the doctrine that... How many of you run into that one? Yeah. This is one of the points on which there will be a departing from the faith. There, Where shall we find safety unless it is in the truths? that the Lord has given us for the last 50 years. And of course, we have seen every type of attack on the sanctuary. Uh, we can think of uh, a famous evangelist in Ellen White's day. His last name was Ballinger. And it's amazing. If you ever read what he taught, it was a shotgun approach. It was what I call the shrapnel effect. I mean, he was trying to overturn everything. It was absolutely amazing. And of course, he was very talented, very well-liked, very influential. The Prince of Darkness picks his people very carefully. And that was one attack. Another one, um, we have Desmond Ford. And uh, the attack there 
on the sanctuary. And uh, we can list others. We can list Canrite. And, and the names go on and on and on. But the thing that's interesting is this, is that once the sanctuary is done away with, the reason for becoming an Adventist goes with it. That's why there's a departing of the faith once this message is rejected. It's a logical result. Who we are and what we are, our identity, our mission and message is found there. Ellen G. White letter, 233-1904. We all need to keep the subject of the sanctuary in mind. God forbid that the clatter of words coming from human lips should lessen the belief of our people in the truth that there is a sanctuary in heaven and that a pattern for the sanctuary was once built on earth. God desires his people to become familiar with this pattern, keeping ever before their minds that the, uh, that the heavenly sanctuary where God is, is what? All in all. It's amazing to me, when I, when I came back to the Lord in my late 20s, and I began uh, coming to church, and I started hearing this, this tension within our church where I was attending there in North Carolina, and I began to read the Bible, the sanctuary in heaven is everywhere. Everywhere. And I thought, what are these people reading? It is so plain that it is there. It is there. One thing I have learned is if I harbor sin in my heart, you can trip over truth and you'll never see it. How critical it is to take the Bible as it reads and approach it as a student with humility and allow it to teach us. Evangelism 2.21. The correct understanding of the ministration in the heavenly sanctuary is the foundation of our faith. It is the foundation of our faith. It's no wonder that the devil then wants to attack it. The psalmist reminds us, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know that uh, when I was uh, pastoring in Hendersonville, North Carolina, um, the Lord led me to, to, to do some studies uh, through the sanctuary. Uh, we were having the Messiah's Mansion come by, and I think Messiah's Mansion's been out here. You all familiar with it? The Messiah's Mansion uh, came by, and we invited them to come to our community, and uh, we decided to do an evangelistic series through the sanctuary um, to follow it up as a follow-up. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, it makes more, you bring in the sanctuary, why go through Daniel Revelation when you can, you know, prophecies, when you can go through the sanctuary. Now, I was naive. I just assumed, if I thought it, the animal existed. There was no study. So we put one together. And in fact, if you go to the website, you will see it there now. It's now there on, on, on uh, Messiah's Mansion's website. But we, what we did, we did this evangelistic series, and a number of amazing things happened. Okay, uh, I have done, I've preached series in the past, and this one was different. It brought out the Bible students of other denominations. Very interesting. You know, typically when you do a, a Revelation seminar and whatnot, you tend to pull in the marginalized, those who have not connected very well. But the sanctuary pulled in an entirely different audience. Very interesting. Another thing that I discovered that was very interesting, our numbers actually grew. They almost doubled. We started out with 135 people and ended with over 230. It, we just kept growing. 
And, and, and one thing that was really satisfying to me that, that, that surprised me is we had a number of gray hairs, uh, uh, Adventist, uh, elderly folks been through, uh, had been in the Adventist church for years. One by one, they came to me and they said, now our message makes sense. It's all there because every teaching of the Bible, every teaching of the Bible is found in the sanctuary. Every single one. And what's interesting, there's only one entrance to the sanctuary. So there is a sequence that is critically important if you're not only going to understand those messages, but how they're related to one another. All of it, every teaching is in there. All of it. And it makes sense. Absolutely amazing. And it was such a joy, so satisfying to see the impact that that had. But then I learned later, it only made sense. Let's take a look. And one thing I, I want to look at here is how the pioneers came to truth. You know, there's a lot of people today that say that the pioneers were wrong. No, they were not. Most assuredly, they were not wrong. But take a look how they arrived at truth. Great uh, gospel workers, 302 and 303. We are to be established in the faith in the light of the truth given us in our early experience. At that time, one heir after another pressed in upon us. Ministers and doctors brought in what? New doctrines. Okay, they were bringing in new light. By the way, new light always builds on old light. Isn't that true? New truth builds on truth already established. So then these young people, who by the way were in their 20s, were hearing this and they said, what to do? Watch what they did. We would search the scriptures with much what? Prayer. And the Holy Spirit would bring the truths to our minds. Sometimes whole nights would be devoted in searching the scriptures and earnestly asking God for guidance. Dear friends, when was the last time we did that? That's what these young people were doing for a whole night. Companies of devoted men and women assembled for this purpose. The power of God would come upon me and I was enabled to clearly to define what is truth and what is error. As the points of our faith were thus established, our feet were placed upon a solid foundation. We accepted the truth point by point under the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. I would be taken off in vision and explanations would be given to me. I was given illustrations of heavenly things and of the sanctuary so that we were placed where light was shining on us in clear, distinct rays. I what? No that the sanctuary question stands in righteousness and truth, just as we have held it for so many years. It is the enemy that leads minds off on sidetracks. He is pleased when those who know the truth become engrossed in collecting scriptures to pile around in ero and erroneous theories which have no foundation in truth. So basically, how they arrived at truth is this. They would come together and they would pray and they would search and they would be in groups and they would study the Bible. Then they'd come to a place where they'd go, we don't know how to go any further. Boom! Ellen White would go into a vision. Ellen, she'd come out of it. The Lord would give another piece of the puzzle and they'd go back to study. And then once they arrived at the conclusion, they'd go, well, it looks like da-da-da-da-da. That has to be the truth. She'd go into vision. And then the Lord would confirm that what they had found was correct. The spirit of prophecy wasn't given to reveal new truth. It was to guide the church into truth. God wanted us studying the word and the spirit of prophecy was given to guide us and to confirm us in it. Does that make sense? 
That's how they arrived at truth. And that's how we will as well. And it's really interesting. I really want to encourage you, if you have time, even although tomorrow is going to be really heavy, there's a lot going on tomorrow. But if you get a chance, read O.R.L. Crozier's material on the sanctuary. It is amazing, especially when you think about all the errors that have come into the church since that time, you're going to find that they were answered from the very beginning. God revealed the truths of this, of of the sanctuary, right there, the foundation was laid. Really encourage you, if you have the Ellen White uh, CD-ROM, you will find his uh, material there as well. But let's continue, Volume 5, Testimony 520. We are in the great day of atonement. And the sacred work of Christ for the people of God that is going on at this present time in the heavenly sanctuary should be what? Our constant study. Constant study. And you know, we're living in a time where a lot of our people are starting to write on this now. Anybody notice that? Have you noticed that? Are you all there? I see you. You you raise your hands. Nobody notices that. There's a lot of good material out there. One I would really highly recommend is Ellen White's book. That would be a good starter. Christ in his sanctuary. Lay a good foundation for you. And keep reading. Christ's Object Lesson 133. The significance of the Jewish economy, look at this, is not yet fully what? Comprehended. There's more that God wants to show us. Truth vast and profound are shadowed forth in its rites and symbols. The gospel is the key that unlocks its mysteries. Through a knowledge of the plan of redemption, its truths are what? Open to the understanding. Life Sketches 278. Our faith in reference to the message of the first, second, and third angels, was correct. The great waymarks we have passed are what? Immovable. Although the hosts of hell may try to tear from their foundations and triumph in the thought that they have succeeded, yet they do not succeed. These pillars of truth stand firm as the eternal hills. Unmarred by all the efforts of men combined with those of Satan and its hosts, we can learn much and should be constantly searching the scriptures to see if these things are so. God's people are now to have their eyes fixed on the heavenly sanctuary, where the final ministration of a great high priest and the work of the judgment is going forward, where he is interceding for his people. Volume 5, Testimony 420-421. This is the great day of preparation, and the solemn work going on in the sanctuary above should be kept constantly before the minds of those employed in our institutions. Business care should not be allowed to absorb the mind in such a degree that the work in heaven, which concerns every individual, will be lightly regarded. The solemn scenes of the judgment, the great day of atonement, should be kept before the people and urged upon their conscience with earnestness and power. The subject of the sanctuary will give a correct view of the importance of the work for this time. And of course, the devil's job is to distract us. And, uh, and one of the things that you will, that, that I'll share with you, um, is the, the, in the studying the judgment, what has really fascinated me is, is two things about God. Number one, his transparency. God's transparency in dealing with the rebellion is amazing. The second thing that has stood out to me is how incredibly respectful he is uh, to guard our freedom of choice. It, it's amazing, and that'll come out. God's, God is extremely respectful of our freedom of choice. Uh, Steps to Christ, 122 and 123. Thank God for the bright pictures which he has presented to us. Let us group together the blessed assurances of his love that we may look upon them constantly. 
The Son of God leaving his Father's throne, clothing his divinity with humanity that he might rescue man from the power of Satan. His triumph in our behalf, opening heaven to who? To man. Can you say amen to that? Revealing to human vision the present chamber where divinity unveils his glory. The fallen race uplifted from the pit of ruin into which sin had plunged it and brought again into connection with the infinite God and having endured the divine test through faith in our Redeemer, clothed in the righteousness of Christ and exalted to his throne. These are the pictures which God would have us contemplate. And dear friend, they are all revealed in the sanctuary. All those pictures are there, portrayed in symbols. Our last quote here from the Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 6, Testimony 6, 368. The temple of God is open in heaven, and the threshold is flushed with the glory which is for every church that will love God and keep his commandments. We need to study, to meditate, and to pray. Then, look at this imagery, then we will have spiritual eyesight to discern the inner courts of the celestial temple. As we apply the golden eye salve, this is how you get the golden eye salve for Laodicea. Remember the golden eye salve? Laodicea is blind, right? She thinks she's rich and good and in need of nothing, but she's blind. And remember what she needs is eye salve? Here's how you get it. As we apply the golden eyesab, we shall see the glories beyond. Faith will cut through the heaviest shadow of Satan. And we shall see our advocate offering up the incense of his own merit in our behalf. When we see this as it is, as the Lord desires us to see it, we shall be filled with a sense of the immensity and the diversity of what? The love of God. God is love. You know... My, my interest and pursuit of the sanctuary was born out of desperation. I was struggling with sin, and I wanted victory. I want to be like Jesus. And, and so my pursuit of being like Christ led me to the sanctuary. My interest in the sanctuary has nothing to do with studying an ancient Jewish culture or their forms of worship has nothing to do with that. It has to do with a desperate attempt to connect myself with the living God who can set me free from sin and make me like him. And that's what I hope to share with you tomorrow and Sunday morning in a practical sense. All I did here tonight was to give you a framework, heaven's desperate appeal to us to study this so that we can lock into what God has done, is doing, and what he's about to do to save you and me. David figured this out. We know his life, don't we? David was a student of the sanctuary, and I believe that a lot of it was born out of his fall with Bathsheba. And look what he says for us here in Psalm 77, 13. Your way, O God, is in where? The sanctuary. And I love this quote here in Luke 21, 28. Many of you who know me well, there's a few of you here actually that do know that there's an expression that I like to use quite often. When I write letters or send off emails, I usually end it with, keep looking up. I get it from this. Revel, uh, Luke 21, 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then what? Look up and lift up your heads. Why? For your redemption draweth nigh. And, you know, I, I studied 
when I first gave my life to Christ, I studied about the coming of Jesus because that's what I wanted to happen. I want to go home. I want to bring an end. I want to see the end of sin and suffering in this world. And so I studied it. And then it wasn't long before I began to realize he should have come before now. Anybody figure that out? We should never have seen 1890. No, excuse me, not 1890. We should never have seen uh, the 20th century. Should never have seen it. We should have been out of here by now. Then I began to wonder why. And it it led me to the sanctuary, and that's where I found out why Christ did not return. But but in this quote, Jesus is talking about uh, Luke 21 parallels Matthew 24, the signs of the end, right? And I used to think that when you see these things come to pass, look up because the clouds are about to be rolled back as a scroll and you're about to see Jesus come. That's not what it's talking about. When you see the signs of the end, look up by faith because your great high priest's work is about to draw to a close. He's about to come out. It's looking up. It's an appeal to look into the most holy place by faith because everything around us today, friends, is telling us that Jesus is almost finished. And it's really weird because we're living in a time where you don't have to even be a Christian anymore to recognize the fact that we are on the verge of a monumental crisis. The world recognizes it, but we know what it means. Jesus is almost finished. My friends, Jesus is coming soon. And I want to be ready to meet him when he comes. Do you want to be there too? you want to be ready? In the next couple days, I'm going to share with you, by the grace of God, how God gets us ready for that day. And when we look at, the, at, the, at what the sanctuary reveals, we're going to have an understanding of our mission and our message. So with that, dear friends, let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity that you have given me to share with my friends here. We all love you. We want a deeper experience with you. We thank you, Lord, because these appeals that we've just read from the pen of Ellen White was not an appeal given to us by a woman, Father, of the late uh, 19th century. It was an appeal from our great high priest to redirect our focus upon him so he can finish the work that he has begun in us. And so, Lord, during these sacred hours, I pray that as we head for home, I pray, Savior, that our hearts and minds will be in a meditative state praying that, Lord, these coming hours, you will reveal to us a deeper understanding of who you are and of your plan to save us. I pray, too, Lord, that as they pray, that you will prepare their hearts for what you're going to share with them. Lord, remind them to pray for the humble and weak speaker that you have selected this weekend to present this message. Thank you again for your gracious goodness and tender mercies and for these sacred and holy hours. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, Or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.